you know, the shelter in place and, and constantly being at home has recently taught and reminded me about something about kids. It's that kids, man, they ask a lot of questions, don't they? And so perhaps you're like me, you're finding yourself being at home more than you ever have, which means you're having to answer a whole lot more questions of some of the hows and whys, the confusing things and parts about life from some of your children. And it got me thinking about this question. The question is, is can we believe in the power of something without being able to fully explain or understand it? Because sometimes don't we kind of say that, that unless I know this to a T, unless I can explain something 100%, then I'm just going to kind of reject it. It doesn't have any meaning in my life. But the thing is, most of us don't actually operate that because there's a lot of things that go around and in our life that bring us power and pleasure and joy that we can't always fully explain. Let me give you a few examples that you might have experienced just this week. Uh, a lot of you probably used one of these in probably the past 24 hours, right? We've got a microwave. I love microwaves. You know, the jury's out there. Are they really good for us or not? Who knows? But we all like putting the microwaves to good use because last night's tacos certainly taste better when they're warmed up the next day. Now, the thing is, I can't tell you how a microwave works other than there's some type of microwaves going back and forth. And then boom, a second or two later, I've got some nice warm food. Uh, maybe, maybe recently, uh, it's that kind of season and that time of the year that you've been uh, doing some planting in your garden or, or redoing some of the landscape. A lot of us have heard about photosynthesis, but how does it actually work? We know that sunlight somehow transforms itself uh, into to, to, to nourishment for plants. I've always just been curious, why do plants get to have that superpower and we don't as humans? I mean, that'd be pretty awesome, right? You're kind of hungry, you walk outside for a few minutes, catch some rays, boom, you're ready to go. There's even stuff that's maybe a little bit more impactful in our life that we sometimes have a hard time explaining. You ever been in love? You ever been around people who are in love? They talk about butterflies. They talk about feeling like they're struck by lightning and they know it, it gets us to do crazy things, things we can't understand. We can't explain it, but we know it when it's there. And so today, as we kick off a new three-week teaching series, we're going to talk about something that, that most of us, we can't fully explain. In fact, I venture to say that, that none of us can fully understand it. It brings a lot of confusion. It brings a lot of different opinions. And if I'm honest, it sometimes is something that we don't talk about as much as we should. And that, that's the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you this question again, though as we begin to talk about something that perhaps we can't fully explain or understand, that can you believe in the power of something without being able to fully understand it? Over the next three weeks, we're going to dive into just some, some basic things about the Holy Spirit. I'll just tell you up front, three weeks is not enough to give us a full exhaustive understanding as best we can about the Holy Spirit. But we want to lay a framework and a foundation. But if you want to join us, you can take a few moments, head over to this website, fcc-online.org forward slash Sunday. There you can connect with us. You can fill out a connect card, prayer request. You can find out more about our groups, our COVID relief, and you can also grab some sermon notes to follow along with us throughout this series. 
You know, this series, though, has been one that we have been preparing for for about the past year or so. It's been on our calendar. We know that it's been coming. We've been praying about it. We've been studying for it. We've been researching it. And over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack probably some just fundamental questions about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Why do we have the Holy Spirit? And how does the Holy Spirit move in our lives? But here's the big idea we want you to walk away with over the next three weeks about how the Holy Spirit applies to your life, the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's this, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to engage with God in this life. But the truth of the matter is, is that there is somewhat of a paradigm when it comes to the Holy Spirit, our understanding, our questions, our opinions, our views. If you grew up not going to church and you hear people talk about the Holy Spirit, maybe you're hearing me say those words or, you, or if you've watched a couple services and you've sung some songs about the Spirit and your mind thinks, well, is it like the force from Star Wars? Is it, is it like Casper, the friendly ghost, who's just there as my friend to follow me along? Is it, is it like that little angel on one shoulder that's like cheering you on and, that, and that, that little red devil on the other shoulder saying, no, 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 you don't do that thing? But if you have a church background, depending on the denomination you grew up in, you probably have a, a different view or opinion of the Holy Spirit. Whether it was Baptist or Pentecostal, Presbyterian or Charismatic, non-denominational, high church, Lutheran, Anglican, Methodist. You might have grown up in a church where sometimes they referred to the Spirit of God as the Holy Ghost. You see, over the course of time and over the course of years, the church has had some pretty bad marketing or packaging with the Holy Spirit. There's some denominations, there's some churches that they, they are so consumed and sold out about the Holy Spirit that that's kind of all they talk about and focus on. And then on the other side, there's some who are so weary of the dangers and the emotionalism of the Holy Spirit that they kind of seem to reject him altogether. And so on this scale of, of being hyper-charismatic on one side to being functionally biterian on the other side, we at first, we believe that well, we're called to be somewhere in the middle. That the, the Holy Spirit is real, is active, it's powerful in the life of the believer in the church, but there's also an order and a structure given to us by the Word of God. So let's just go ahead and start here today. Start here this morning. Who is the Holy Spirit? See, the Holy Spirit, he's the third person of the Trinity. Now, when I say third person, I'm not saying he's number three out of three or he's lesser than God the Father or God the Son. Rather, he is one of the three gods in our belief. See, the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is the present and active person and power of Jesus that empowers God's people to live into the mission of the kingdom of God. And so here's why this is important. This applies to you. If you are a believer, if you consider yourself a Christian, or, or if you're thinking about giving your life over to Jesus and joining the family of God, that as soon as we make that decision, we are given a gift. We are given a power. We are giving God himself, his spirit to be with us, to be in us, to dwell within us, to fill us, to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us, to convict us, to give us hope, to give us peace. That the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus inside of us through his grace, through his love, 
and through his gospel. Now, before we can really go any further, talking specifically about the Holy Spirit, we actually need to take a small step back. When you talk about God as a whole, God, the Trinity that we believe in. Because before we can talk about the Holy Spirit, we need to remind ourselves of who our God is. And so we here at first, we believe that scripture tells us about God who exists as a Trinity. The Trinity is defined as this. Now we believe that the God, the Trinity, is one true God expressed in three persons, all separate, all equally divine. Let me kind of explain that a little bit further over here on my whiteboard. You see, we would call ourselves, we are monotheists. We believe in one God. We are not polytheistic, that the Trinity is not three separate gods that all come together to make one God or make decisions as one God. Rather, it's one God that exists in three separate forms at all times, but each form, each part of the Godhead is equally divine. And this is a, probably the best way that we can kind of describe it to you in our minds. That this is God, God the Trinity. And that we know that God, the Holy Spirit, is God. God the Father is fully God. And God the Son is fully God. However, at the same time, we need to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is not the Father. That the Father is not the Son and that the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And so as we dive into talking about the Trinity, this is important. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, because the Trinity reminds us that God cannot contradict himself. So we spend the next three weeks talking about how the Holy Spirit moves, who is the Holy Spirit. We need to remind ourselves the importance that God cannot contradict himself. That the, the Holy Spirit cannot act or move in a way that is contrary to the Father or to the Son. Now, if you're like me, your, your, your brain's probably starting to spin a little bit. It's probably starting to hurt. You're probably kind of doing one of these, okay, 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 I, I, I'm kind of tracking. I'm not really tracking. And that's cool because I think we're all here. So let's go back to a passage. I want to take you to a story of how the first Christians knew, believed, understood and experienced the power of the Holy Spirit for arguably one of the most opportune moments throughout the history of the church. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts this morning. We'll start in Acts chapter 1. The Bible is broken into two main portions, an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is about the people of God, the nation of Israel, chosen to be witnesses of God's uh, creation and intent for life. And it's this picture in which the, 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 the creation kind of grows separate away from God and it points to the need for a Savior who we now know is Jesus to come. Then the Old Testament opens with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call these the Gospels. They kind of give us the biography of the life of Jesus. And then after those four Gospels, we get to the fifth book of the New Testament, which is the book of Acts. It's actually a continuation of Luke's Gospel. He's telling us as an eyewitness of an eyewitness account of this is who Jesus was. But now let's turn to the book of Acts that says, let's look at the spirit that he has given unto us. In Acts chapter 1, picking up in verse 7, we'll start here this morning. 
It says, he said to them, he being Jesus, he's talking to his disciples. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the father is sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So just real quickly, kind of what's happening. At this point, Jesus has lived. He died on the cross. He went to the grave and he rose three days later. He's been with the disciples for like 40 days at this point. He's had meals with them. He's let them touch the scars on his hands. He's but also walked through walls and he's taught about the kingdom of God. And they're on this mount outside of the city of Jerusalem. And he's kind of like, all right, yo, here's the thing, bros. I'm getting ready to just bounce out of this place. I'm going to go be with God. We're going to chill in heaven for eternity. I'm going to go sit at the right hand of God. I'm going to prepare this place for you. And so what I want you to do, you guys just need to go back to Jerusalem and do it. I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send a helper who's going to be with you. My spirit, he's going to come with you. So you just go wait for me. He's coming. And trust me, he's going to give you a power that's going to just blow your mind. It's going to do incredible things. But notice how Jesus describes this power. He says, I'm going to give you a power that will enable you to be my witnesses, to tell of the mighty works, my gospel, my good news. You see, from this moment forward throughout the New Testament, whenever we see the Holy Spirit working in someone, working through someone, it's always for the sake, the glory of God propelling his kingdom forward. And so the disciples, they kind of head back to town. They go into the upper room and about 10 days Later, they receive this power. Picking up in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 1, this is how the story continues. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, it's kind of the disciples and some of their family and close followers of Jesus, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a, uh, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that, sep um, that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so here it is. It's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, it's a word that means 50. It's 50 days after the Passover celebration, 49 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And so here's kind of what's going on in this story at this point. We've got this, this, this group of Jews sitting in a room and they're sitting here and all of a sudden they are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes in and it says it was like wind and it was like fire that filled them up. Now here's the interesting thing is that they are in Jerusalem already. Many Jews, not just a few, hundreds, thousands of Jews from all across the world are here in Jerusalem celebrating Passover. By this point, everyone knows about Passover. The Jews, the non-Jews, they see the huts, they know the narrative, they know the story. They're there celebrating Passover, reminding themselves that some a couple thousands of years, even before Jesus, that God was moving, that God sent his spirit, 
that he rescued and delivered his people based on his promises. They would know the story at this point. The story takes us all the way back to the second book of scripture, the book of Exodus. In which God's people, the nation of Israel, they're under this captivity, this slavery under the Egyptian rulers. And God says, I've had enough with it. I've heard my cries. It's time to rescue my people. And so what God does is he selects one man to be the savior, the redeemer of the nation of Israel, the man by the name of Moses. And he tells Moses this plan. Moses, you're going to go back. You're going to march up to Pharaoh. I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to give you my spirit. You're going to do these signs, these wonders, these plagues that will prove that I am in this. But then he tells Moses the plan at the end. He says, but there's going to be one plague that kind of sets us free. Because on the 10th plague, I need you to gather my people. Because I'm going to send my spirit, the angel of death. And if you want death to pass over their household, if they do not want to experience death, they need to take the blood of a pure, spotless lamb. They need to slaughter it. They need to take that blood and they need to paint it on the door frames of their house. And then when the spirit of God comes, it will pass over their home. But anyone who does not, believe in my word, does not believe in my power, does not believe in the blood of a pure spotless lamb to keep you from death, will experience the death of their firstborn. Now this is the greatest foreshadowing of the work and the life of Jesus. Because so here's the, they're, they're in Jerusalem, they're, they're remembering, celebrating Passover, but just about 50 days prior, they experienced the eternal, the perpetual Passover that Jesus Christ gave of himself, our atoning sacrifice, our sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world, that anyone who believes in his work, in his name, that death will go over them because of the work of another Passover lamb. So here's kind of what's happening. The apostles at this time, they're celebrating Passover. They experience the spirit of God, the presence of God, the powerfulness of God in wind and fire. And I'm going to show you something that, that I just can't help but unsee. Uh, as somebody who's ethnically Jewish myself, my mind was just making these connections. Because my mind was going back here to the Old Testament. Going back to the Jews who were celebrating that Passover. Because after they met that Passover, I want to show you how they experienced the power of God. Because what we need to remember is that God, our Trinity, who he was yesterday is the same God today and he's the same God for forever. That the promises then are the promises now. But look at what happens to the Jews right after they are redeemed out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. The sea becomes a highway for them to walk through. And now they encounter the spirit of God. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, it says, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud. Sometimes the Hebrews writers, they translate this as a pillar of wind to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. For 40 years, 
40 years as the Israelites were walking through the desert. They had the spirit of God, the theophany of God in cloud, wind, and fire. Never left them, always with them. For 40 years, guided them and led them. At the end of those 40 years, this is what happens next. Joshua is leading the people of Israel. It takes them to the the doorstep of Jericho. Joshua sends in two spies. And the two spies go in and they meet this woman by the name of Rahab. She was a prostitute in the town of Jericho. And they're trying to scout out, getting ready to take over the promised land that God had said would be theirs. And her response to them is, no, 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 we know who you are. We've heard the stories. We've seen the wonders of your God, a.k.a. the witness has gotten to us. So much so that she gets saved and spared because why? Because the people of God were led and empowered by the Spirit of God to be a witness of his great works. We jump back to the New Testament. Look at how the Spirit of God empowers and leads these disciples and apostles at the very beginning of receiving the new Passover Spirit. Picking back up in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Now they were staying, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, these these, uh, ones who were, uh, the, the Spirit came on them, speaking in these different tongues, these different languages, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, Residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring, witnessing the wonders of God in our own tongues. The Spirit of God empowers these first disciples, to live in them, to be witnesses, to live in the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of God. We get to this point, what we began to see unfold throughout the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit enables the church to be for the world what Jesus was for the people of Israel. Through the grace, through the gospel of Jesus, the Holy Spirit both calls us and energizes us to be Jesus' people empowered by the Spirit. Now, I'll be honest, it's, it's at this point where, where some people kind of say, so, so, so look, look at the power of the Spirit. Look at what the Spirit is doing. And this is where the divide, the lines in the, the sand kind of get drawn. Some differing views of the, of the Spirit come into play. And some begin to say, so, so let's be a spirit-led church. Let's be like them. Let's just follow the wind and the fire of the spirit. And others say, no, 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 that was a, a descriptive moment. It wasn't prescriptive of how we are to live so much. We have the word of God. It's much more neat and clean and tidy, and it gives us better direction. Let's not get too crazy. Let's not get too far out of control. Well, which is it? 
Do we follow the Spirit or do we follow the Word of God? Let me show you one other quick connection here. You see, if we go back to the Old Testament, as the Israelite people were wandering in the desert for 40 years, they didn't just have the cloud and the fire and the Spirit of God. They also received something every single day. Every day from heaven, they received bread. They received what is called manna. Every day, God provided nourishment for their bodies. Now, we don't receive manna every single day in our life, but we have something else that nourishes our life and our soul. We have the word of God, which Jesus calls the bread of life. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and if you want to draw a line, well, are we going to be a spirit people or are we going to be a word people? Well, who are we at first? Who do we strive to be as best we can? So we're going to be people of the spirit and the word. That we believe you don't have to choose. That in fact, when you minimize one, you minimize the other. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active. He is powerful. He is moving. But we also believe in the authority of the word of God, its direction, its description, and its prescription to us as church and as followers of Jesus. We want to be a spirit and a word people. Now, I know I just spoken a lot to this up here. You're probably trying to follow along. You might have tuned me out. That's cool. You can rewind this and watch it later. So let me just end speaking here for just a few more moments. If you want to start somewhere in who is the Holy Spirit, how do you begin to engage? You must start here. That the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. The Holy Spirit, he is not a force. He's not a, 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 a spiritual thing. He's not a mystical power that you can get to act on your behalf as long as you do all these right things. No, no. The Holy Spirit is a who. A who, a person who wants to know you, to be known by you, who has a plan and a will for your life who wants to give you hope when you feel like all hope is lost, who wants to give you rest when you are weary, who wants to be your strength when you only find yourself backed in a corner and all you feel is weak. He is a who, who wants to walk alongside of you, to be with you, to encourage you, to deliver you. He wants to poke you. He wants to prod you. He wants to convince you of your sin, but he also wants to grant you peace and grace and love that surpasses all understanding. He wants to be the truth of God, the power of God, the promises of God, but more importantly, the person of God living in you and living through you for the glory of God, for the expansion of his kingdom. The Holy Spirit wants to lead and guide your life. My question is, will you listen to his urge and his urge? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit. May we be open to who you are and what you're saying to us. May we be people who believe in your power to be witnesses in the entire world of your truth. In name that we pray, amen. Every week we do something that's maybe a little bit different than what you're used to if you've ever been in a church.
You see, we do what's called response time. It's where we'll sing a couple of songs, and if you were in one of our physical locations on a normal Sunday, or maybe even now in some of the living living rooms across our area, people will begin to move and maybe find a spot in the corner to pray, or maybe they'll gather their family around the communion and take communion together. But it's this time to respond, and I get these questions all the time from people of just like, hey, why have you chose to do that? Even pastor friends of mine have said, hey, why do you do it exactly that way? And today is a perfect example of why. Because response time for us is a time to respond to the Holy Spirit. It's not time to respond to the band or not time to respond even to a great message from the preacher. It's a time to respond to what the Holy Spirit is asking of us, to what the Holy Spirit is challenging in us. And maybe he's speaking to you today. And you might be sitting there and saying, hey, you know what, Jeff, I just, uh, I just forgot to turn off the news on Fox, and so I just kind of fell into this. Or, or I've, I just happened to get curious as I scrolled by on Facebook, why would the Holy Spirit talk to me? But that's the beauty of it. Because not only does the Holy Spirit come in and fill us up whenever we choose to make Jesus the Lord of our life, to, that we accept him as our Savior, but he talks to us beforehand. He convicts us. He draws us to himself and to Jesus. And so I believe whether you're completely new to this conversation today or whether you've been a Christ follower for a very long time, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And so the question is, what what is he asking you to do? Where do we need to go from here? And there's a lot of things that you could answer with, but I think, you know, some of us might be making the big decisions like, hey, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to accept him as my savior. I want to be buried in the waters of baptism, which by the way, we're still doing during this time. We have a safe way that we can pull that off and we would love to celebrate that with you. Maybe what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do today is to become a part of our community through our groups, even as they're online or maybe through serving in different ways like we've talked about with the food pantries and all of the initiatives we're doing. But whatever that might be, there's an easy way to start down that path. And that is to simply text the word hello to the number 217-334-4055. And we'll get right back with you. We'll help you understand how to take those next steps. Or you can also do that through our website, fcc-online.org slash Sunday. There's all kinds of resources there. There's a digital connect card. You could leave prayer requests, all of those things. Or frankly, if you're even watching online on our website right now, you can just click the little button in the corner and you can talk to a pastor right now and ask for prayer. You can ask about next steps, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do in response today. Another way you can respond, and by the way, you guys have responded in a huge way over the past month, is through generosity. You guys have played a huge role in helping feed thousands of people in our community through your generosity. And if that's something that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do today, to continue to be a part of what God is doing through first, through generosity, you can do that super easy. It's just download this app called Give, G-Y-V-E. Super easy. You can find it on the app stores for both Android and Apple. Uh, Sign up and it's a great way to get involved through generosity. But the other way I want to encourage you today to respond is to pause. And I want you to pause as we head into a time of communion. Because I believe that is what Jesus wants us to do in this moment. I believe he wants believers to pause and to remember what he's done for us. That his death, his burial, and his resurrection has changed everything. That we're now forgiven, that we have grace, that we have mercy. And so if you are a believer in Christ, I want to encourage you today, whether it's taking bread and juice or whether it's Sprite and Oreos, whatever you got working, it's not about the emblems, it's about who it represents. 
the blood of Jesus. It's about changing your life. And so I want to read to you today the words of Jesus as he prepared his disciples for this as we take it together. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 